One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader. When I found out I was going to be a parent, I immediately felt a lot of anxiety and worry. So I went on to BetterHelp to try to look for a therapist to help me with that. My relationship with my family and with my boyfriend and with myself were suffering. I really needed help. I was ruminating a lot. Really getting those thoughts out to a therapist and getting feedback was just life-changing. If you're thinking of giving therapy a try, learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's betterhelp.com. I am psyched to introduce you to your host for tonight. Eric Eddings and Brittany Luce are the co-hosts of For Colored Nerds, a podcast that started in Eric's Bedsty kitchen nearly two years ago. And we are honored to have them on stage tonight for their very first sold-out live show. So give them all the love you have, Brittany and Eric. For Colored Nerds. The conversations that, that black, black people have. When white people are not in the room. I mean, we've done it all the time. It's yeah, like, okay, sorry, that's right. <laughs> you know. But we record them and we put them on the internet. Yes, yes, yes. And we're really excited to have you all here tonight. Thank you so much. We like, we can't say thank you enough. <laughs> we can't say thank you enough, seriously. Um, so yeah, so uh, this is our very first live show ever. And we have... We have a lot of good stuff planned. Yes, yes. We're going to play some games. We're going to have two amazing guests. We have Ashley Ford, amazing writer. Yes, give it up for Ashley. Yes, yes, yes. We also have Van Newkirk II. Yes. Yes. Uh, and we need to shout out the amazing DJ Grandrew. Yes. DJ Grandrew. Helping us out. Um. But, yeah, I guess before we jump into that, though. Yes, we should, we should tell you a little bit about how we got started. Okay, so in November 2013, which is my birth month, um, so, like, we, we ended up sitting at this cigar bar after my birthday party for, like, what, five hours? Yeah, and we just, like, yeah, five hours, like, just sitting in these overstuffed chairs next to, like, this fireplace that had no fire in it, and we had a conversation like that didn't have any interruption, no extra people, yeah. no breaks, no nothing. It was very uncomfortable. We, uh, <laughs> we, we talked about our goals, we talked about music, we talked about movies, like just all the important stuff. Like, uh, yeah, we talked about how the world is a white supremacist, it's heteropatriarchy. <laughs> yes, the huge, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, a couple weeks later I was like, so Brittany, we should start a podcast. And I was like, nobody's gonna listen to this because the read already exists. Yes. We have Audie Cornish. <laughs> like yeah. we don't need we don't need this. But I, I argued a little bit more. I like did some convincing. Mm -hmm. And after a few bumps in the road, we started our podcast in September of 2014. Uh, yeah, and we called it for colored nerds, and which is a name that we lovingly adapted uh, from the Ento Zake Shange play for colored girls who have considered suicide. When the rainbow is enough. Wow, yes. this is a room where people say yeah. that with you. <laughs> Family. <laughs> uh, but we recorded our first three episodes, and we sent them to family and friends. Surprisingly, the feedback 
was good. It was positive. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we kept going. Uh, yeah. And at the beginning of last year, we actually uh, decided to put the podcast on iTunes, and then it kind of took off from there. Yeah. I mean, I, I, like, I can't say it enough. Doing this show has uh, quite literally changed our lives. Like, uh, we... We actually have new jobs. Yes, no. <laughs> Eric is a development producer at Gimlet Media. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We got some fire coming this fall. Got some yeah. hot fire coming this fall. And Brittany, as you all should know, is the host of the amazing show Sampler at Gimlet Media. Okay. Um, liter- literally, like we are friends. We make this show and we go to work every day to each other. Like, it's, it's too it's much. It's unhealthy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but you know, doing it for color nerds also allows us to talk to people who we really admire, and we really, really love it because we get to connect with all of you. Um, so for that again, for that again, we really, really just want to say thank you yes. so much. But before we go into like a full like three-hour testimony, <laughs> uh, I think we should do something fun. How about a game? Sounds good? Oh, man. Wow, that was great. No, it's like so effective. Where did that, uh, where did, where we did wrote music that. come from? Yeah. Uh, so we're going to play a game called, are you ready? I'm, I'm ready. Six Degrees of Black Separation. <laughs> All right, so uh, how I came up with this, so you know, <laughs> uh, sorry, but uh, it's not like a Milton Bradley board game. Yeah, you can't go buy it. But uh, I have a theory that all black people are connected. Uh, I actually probably think that all of us are cousins. That is feasible. Which is which makes things awkward, but <laughs> you know, for tonight it's gonna work. You're gonna bear with me. Uh, but Brazitney, uh, Brazitney. I like that. That was good. <laughs> That's fine. Right? It sounds like, like this, a, like the spirit of Snoop Lion is upon I, us today. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm going to present you with two celebrities, and you are going to have to guess the five. I am playing the game. Yeah. Okay. You're playing it. <laughs> All right. Okay. Why All are right. we not? I mean, I'm fine. Okay. okay. All right. So I'm going to present you with two celebrities, and you are going to have to guess the five connections that will take us from point A to point B. Are you ready? Okay. All right, I'm ready. I'm, All right. Yeah. You can, if things get, like, really bad and boring, you can ask the audience. <laughs> okay, so this is, like, phone a friend. Yes. Well, not too much. Anybody that I would call is probably in this room right now. All right. <laughs> uh, so, to start, let me tell you who we're going to connect. Okay. We're going to start with the amazing, let's see, whoops, wrong button, Halle Berry. Okay. All right. One of the goats. Really enjoy her work. Maybe save for Catwoman, but you know, <laughs> great actress, no shade. Uh, and we're going to be connecting her to okay. Kendrick Lamar. It's very one person believes. Yeah, in yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure I do, but we're going to get there because we literally have to. It's uh, <laughs> true. All right, so we're going to start with Halle Berry, and okay. the goal is to think of like. You know, who she might know or worked with that will get us to Kendrick Lamar. Okay. All right, so. My blood pressure is like. Are you ready? Can you, okay, who is the, who should we start with? <laughs> you're, like, you're really who killing this game. With? All right, I, I'll um, give you a hint. Is it, it's all black people in between. It's all black people in between. 
It's for uh, color nerds. Eric like, Benet. <laughs> it's not Eric Benet. It is. Are you ready? Okay. Wait. So you're gonna give me the fir- you're gonna give me the first one. I mean, and then I'm gonna tumble forward. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna like roll through this. This is recorded. Y'all can't be in here acting like this. <laughs> All right. This is not comic view. Like. All right. We're gonna get there. Okay. 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 Halle Berry is connected. We're gonna start. She is connected to. Eddie okay, Murphy. Okay, okay, okay. Okay, we talked about this before. Okay, we have on talked the show. about this before. We have. All right, Boomerang. So, boomerang, Boomerang, Boomerang. As you know, Halle Berry was in the amazing film, if I do say so myself. Okay. Uh, boomerang. Right. With Eddie Murphy. Okay. Okay. So Eddie Murphy. Okay, this is good. Eddie Murphy's good. Eddie Murphy's like a gateway black. Yes. <laughs> it's connected to all of the others. Correct. Correct. Okay. All right, so, uh, let's see. I think we can go for it one more time. Okay. So, okay, ha- so Halle Berry to Eddie Murphy. All right. the, okay, it's like his bow finger face. Now, all right. Um, okay, so we, I need to get from Eddie Murphy to another person. To another person. So Eddie yes. Murphy is like, I'm down to four. Correct. Yes. That's okay. The math. The math so works. Eddie Murphy to get to another person. So like, okay, so let's like, let's go. Let's Who? let's like let's like try. Okay, so let's think. Okay. So like, I. This this was faster in my mind. <laughs> If but, literally, if anybody was going to set me up for failure, it would be you. Literally, it would be you. Okay. Okay, so Eddie Murphy, Eddie Murphy, Eddie Murphy. He was in. If y'all don't stop talking, I'm dead ass serious. I will come out there and shake you. This is. This, this is my. Like, I earned this. Y'all need to stop. This is, <laughs> what? This is every day for me, guys. This is every day. <laughs> All right. Okay. So, do you, are you ready? Do you want me to give you All this right. one? You got it. No, 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 no. Okay, so like Eddie Murphy, so he's a movie actor, so we need to think movies. Movies, think movies, movies. movies. correct. Movies. Okay, so are you thinking of a particular film? Like, I am well, thinking perfect... of a particular film. Okay, all right. Okay, so we're right now. So Eddie Murphy. Eddie Murphy. Nineties was when he was popping. Nineties. This is good. You're getting warm. Okay. 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 Let's keep. Let's keep it going. Okay. Um, we should have got a doom doom like a like what's it? Yeah. Okay. Um. So what is like so like like no both fingers two thousand. Not any of the clumps. No. No. Not on this show. Can you give me a co-star? Can you give me a co-star? A co-star. I think it's gonna give it away. Give me the damn co-star. I still got three more black people to go. All right. All right. All right. For sake of time, Angela okay. Bassett is a co-star, not the Vampire not, in Brooklyn. That is correct. Vampire in Brooklyn. Give me a co-star. Some would say a classic. I wouldn't say that. Who is but, some? <laughs> but it's it's a good movie, you know. Hey, but Eddie Murphy starred in Vampire in Brooklyn with Angela Bassett. In addition to that. He starred with Kadeem Hardison. Somebody Wait, got somebody it. really knew yeah. that was Kadeem Hardison. Uh, we have no prizes, but I will give you an open bag of tortilla chips. Yes. <laughs> we have plenty of those. I got a jar of salsa also. Uh, um, yeah, so okay, Kadeem, Kadeem Hardison, who's probably better known as Dwayne Wayne. And if we could pause for a moment, take a look at this picture, which is so Jesse tragic. Is, is standing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't understand. Her extension like, is nice. It's just the most uncomfortable pose. <laughs> Like, for both of them, they both look very confused. Uh, You and and Bae don't do this? No, 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 no. I mean, that's a different That's after you get married, and it's like, that's what, you know. Do have a kid. But, uh, (laughs) okay. So, Kadeem Hardison. Kadeem Hardison. So, like, okay. This this narrows the field. 
It should. Okay. <laughs> what was he in? The Sixth Man. I mean, he was in. He was in like. I mean, he was in a different world. He was in but a different he world. He also was. He might have also been in. Might have also been in films. He might also just know people. He might have been in relationships. Okay. Wait, wait, wait. Question. Or so we're crossing over from. From. We might be transitioning to, to personal. Out of work into personal. Okay. So a part of me feels like he used to date Cree Summer. Uh, well, he might have. I think I'm I think that was Instagram. just in the show. And then, uh, no, no, I do a deep Instagram stock of, of all the people from a different world every uh, few months. And I think that's something I learned. So uh, it's not Cree Summer. It's not Cree Summer. Okay. The cold. Give me another clue. Uh, well, shit, I didn't really prepare clues. <laughs> uh, let me see. It's, okay, that's here, obvious. Here, um, this was a very, very, like, their, their connection was very popular for a time. Give me a clue about the other person. That, that was a clue. People paid to come, we gotta move along. <laughs> all right, all right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you this one, you're gonna be mad at yourself. But uh, Kadeem Hardison okay. was in no, a- No, give me a clue, give me the clue though. I just, there is, you have your hand like you're about no to- There are no additional clues. Okay, all right. There's no, there's no clues. We gotta, we gotta, we, we gotta move. <laughs> All right, so Kadeem Hardison was in a relationship with with Shantae Moore. Oh, sorry. Shantae Moore. There we go. Oh, you could have just said pettiest song of all 19 anything. And I would have been like, Shantae's got a man. I got you. Very true. Very true. So, there, I mean, he was the man. You could have said counting your chickens. Because you know she's not with Kenny Lattimore anymore. That's I mean, what happens when you make a song about how you have a man and nobody else does. How salty are you about Shantae? I'm not salty. <laughs> it's petty. That song was very petty. I, I mean, I didn't realize you, you felt this. Okay, stupid. so now, wait, so now how many people do I have left? All right, Just one? All right. So, yeah, yeah. We're, uh, you've got Halle okay. Berry to Eddie Murphy to Kadeem Hardison. Okay, so I have one or two? One. No, well, I mean, the last one is, is oh, Kendrick so the, Lamar. Oh, Kendrick, so you, okay, you so really only got one more. Okay, wait, wait, this, wait, this wait, 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 wait. Okay, I got and it, I got it. About we me. just did an episode. We might have just We done just did an episode. episode about R. Kelly's like kinda like R and B hip hopers. That that is true. Okay, 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 okay. To pick a butterfly. Alright, I'm gonna go on Okay. But you said I was warm, so it's not that big. You're pretty warm. I mean I think we I think we all know. Mr. We Big. Yes. Ron Isley. <laughs> Which this is a great suit, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> If I could do my wedding over again, <laughs> uh, this would be it. But Ron Isley, Mr. Big, so he was on To Pippa Butterfly. Was on To Pippa Butterfly. For, oh, I can't say that word, apparently. But, and then um, we get from there to Kendrick Lamar because he had the song, What a Dollar Cost. How much a dollar cost? So that takes us to Kendrick Lamar. Good job, Brittany. <laughs> you made it. I made it. You made it. Yeah, I appreciate I mean, this was like. We got from. Halle Berry to Kendrick Lamar. And that has been Six Degrees of Black Separation. <laughs> so how many of y'all really could have called this game? I heard a lot of people out here whispering. I, I mean, we got one. I heard a lot of people one. out here whispering. I thought they were easy. From? They were not easy. It was, it was pretty How many people are thinking about Kadeem Hardison and Shantae Moore still in 2016? I mean, that was a big relationship. Bro. She literally, she, the, she, her, like, one of her biggest hits was about the fact she had a man. And he was the man. 
Yeah. Kenny Lattimore was the man, I thought. No. I think it was, I think that, I think that was before. Look, Kenny. we don't have Google here to verify any of this. Well, so, so I'm We're right. just going to leave it open-ended. <laughs> All right. uh, but yeah, we're going to keep it moving. Yes. We actually would like to introduce our very first guest. So she is a writer and editor who's been published like just about everywhere. She's also now a development executive at Matter Studios, and she is the host of the authorized podcast for Audible. She also has an obsession with Kenny Loggins. Yes. Uh, please welcome to the stage, Ashley Ford. All right, so Ashley, so so glad to have you. Yes, I'm so glad to be here. Yes, uh, and so just to jump into it, uh, mm -hmm. you have been a writer and an editor for a long time. You've worked yeah. at BuzzFeed and Elle, and we know you've been working on like multiple books yeah. for the past few years. Yeah, lots, lots going on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you busy? Yeah, yeah I'm busy. busy. I'm busy. I'm booked. Is that what they say? Yeah, I think so. I'm mean, making that out through next year. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I would love for you to tell us just a little bit more about how you kind of transitioned uh, from a writer to a development executive. Because mm -hmm. that's, I mean, it's pretty new. Yeah, it's uh, new. <laughs> and just tell us about the new job. Okay. Um, my new job is working for a company called Matter Studios that used to be a publication online, just like a digital publication. And the editorial director for the publication had this vision for like a full media company that would be um, that would basically be a great place for people to make bold and sometimes specific things that don't have a like super wide audience or that other companies always say doesn't have a wide audience <laughs> um, and to do that in a way that was you know actually beneficial to creators and artists and he took that vision to somebody um, with a lot of money, and that person was like, yeah, sounds like a good idea, and <laughs> gave him a bunch of money to start this company. And I was actually, before taking this job, I was um, consulting for Condé Nast, and he, like the, the founder, Mark Lotto, um, well, it's him and his wife who founded it, um, him and Hillary Fry, but Mark, was actually reaching out to me about something different. And he was like, okay, I've tried to be respectful of your little thing at Condé Nast, but I really want you to come work for me. So can you do that? And I was like, I was just waiting for you to ask. <laughs> um, so now I do that. And it's, I'm specifically working with web series and documentaries. Um, so just like basically right now having a lot of meetings with people who have cool ideas and trying to figure out if they have the right cool idea right now for us and if it's not the right cool idea for us right now it might be later and so just having as many conversations as possible with people who are making really amazing stuff or who want to Sounds awesome. That sounds, mm -hmm. actually, yeah. that sounds amazing. Yeah, it's kind of a dream job. Like, I keep thinking it's not real. <laughs> like, I show up every day and I, like, look around. Like, y'all still want me here, right? Y'all yeah. <laughs> want me to do the same stuff I was doing yesterday? Okay. <laughs> just making sure. It's me every day. I was, yeah, like, I'm always waiting for somebody to just, like, to bring a cane and just, like, yank it around. Yeah. Like, like a vaudeville cat. Yeah. From a cartoon. Yes. And not yet, like, I mean, they keep checking in with me to make sure that, like, I'm doing okay and I'm happy, you know, and that I feel like I'm supported, 
when, you know, <laughs> when uh, shit went down um, in Louisiana and um, in Minneapolis and then in Dallas, you know, they were kind of <laughs> calling me and being like, hey, you don't have to come in tomorrow. Uh, <laughs> like, you know, maybe. That's great. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. Yeah. It's great. Well, I mean, I can't, like, have you sitting here without addressing the episode for Culinaries that you did last summer. Yeah. It's been almost, like, exactly a year. And it's honestly, yeah. it's a fan favorite. Uh, even people in my personal life who, like, barely listen to the show, they're always like, this woman, Ashley Ford. You need to have her <laughs> back. Um, and that, that conversation was actually also the first interview that, like, I ever, ever did. And you kind of have this, like, sage wisdom vibe about you, and you're always, like, giving really good advice. Uh, and I think, like, in that episode specifically, you spoke a lot about, like, gaining the courage and vulnerability to, like, really put yourself out there, whether yeah. it's, like, emotionally or for your work. And that, like, meant a lot to me. Uh, also to Eric and I think to a lot of our listeners. Mm -hmm. But, like, the thing is, is you're, like, 30 yeah, well, I, I will be 30 in about six months, yes. Right, so the thing is, though, is when you talk, you sound like Cicely Tyson in that <laughs> family reunion scene from Medea. Wait a minute. No. <laughs> um, okay, but how do, you, how do you do that? I, uh, I don't, I listened to my grandmother a lot, <laughs> um, took her to heart. I, I, I mean, I don't think, I always say that it's kind of because I'm a Capricorn. Um, <laughs> Shout out Zodiac. <laughs> and Capricorns in general, like, you know, whether you, like people don't believe in that stuff, it's totally fine. But the thing about Capricorns is that we really don't like to be misunderstood. Um, and so we try to make ourselves as clear as possible. And I feel like my whole life I've been trying to say what I mean. And that takes practice, like a lot of fucking practice. Oh, we're allowed to cuss. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. I think we may already. Um, yeah. Okay. Good. A few times. But yeah, it takes a lot of fucking practice to, um, to sort of like, every time you talk, try to do so with the intention of clarity, um, which means talking in a way that, in my mind. Um, is to the point <laughs> and also in a way that um, I try not to get too caught up in how I want to speak. I try to think about the message and, how, and who I want to receive the message mm. and how they would best receive the message. And I try to speak to people in a way that is already a bridge um, and that I can say something to them that is the way they can best receive it and not necessarily just the way I like to talk or the way that I talk when I'm, you know, with my family or friends or, mm -hmm. you know, whatever. And it's not necessarily like a different identity. It's more so like trying to figure out where you're coming from. And every time I have a conversation, it's not like, oh, I'm just talking at people. I'm talking with people. That's like doing the thing that like most people do that I don't always do. Like when <laughs> I'm communicating, which is like actually like taking in what someone is saying, yeah. and, and then like thoughtfully responding. Well, I, I understand. Like I don't always get it right. Like I mean, I definitely don't always get it right. And it, the more someone is around me, the more they will catch me fucking up to be perfectly mm -hmm. honest you know my boyfriend's here tonight and I guarantee you he'll be like yeah she fucks up sometimes <laughs> like you know like it's not all the time it's just you know 
I try to use sometimes the best of myself when communicating with people. And the best of myself is the part of me that wants to connect with the person, you know, by any means necessary. Do you feel like you always, like, when do you feel like you hit a moment where you started to trust that, that person to know that, like, this is the best of yourself? Um, that is ongoing. That is not a thing that I feel like I inherently trust about myself or that I got to one point and felt like I could trust myself. I think it was more of a not being scared to try um, and doing it over and over again. And when I mess up, recognizing it and not letting the, um, I don't wanna say a failure, but in a little way it feels that way. It feels like a little failure Mm -hmm. in the moment. Um, And it's okay for it to be a little failure, but the failure has no purpose if I don't learn from it. So when I mess up or when I, you know, have those moments, I think it's not so much that I trust myself to get it right, but I do trust myself to recognize when I don't get it right and to make amends accordingly. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, can Trey say amen? That's not something. So, I mean, one of the like in in, in the episode that you you sat down with us before with Brittany before mm-hmm. one of the things you you talked about was your series disrupting domesticity. Oh yeah, uh, which is which I think I know Brittany is a huge fan of. Yeah, it's uh, it was like a it was on the toast. Yeah, uh, it was this like series on the toast where you talked about like you did something that I like could never do. I think a lot of, that would be hard for a lot of people. <laughs> which is taught like write a monthly post about what it was like to move in with your partner for the first time. Mm-hmm. And like you laid the shit bare. Like you talked about, yeah. like I mean you talked about everything, like the kind of stuff that goes through everybody's mind. Like is this person gonna eventually find me boring? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, am I caring enough about this person? Do they feel it? Am I too depressed or anxious for this person? Like, I mean, you kept it 100. I tried. <laughs> I certainly tried. Yeah. So, I mean, I feel like like we read a lot that it's important to have healthy relationships. But like Brittany was saying, you really, I feel like you really did the work of showing your work, mm-hmm. if you will, uh, and, and kind of outlining how you got there. So, <laughs> to put you on the spot a little bit. Oh, Lord. <laughs> uh, how are things going? And also... <laughs> and also... Uh, if you had to, like, let's say if you were thinking of creating a new installment, like, 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 what's been on your mind? Like, what do you think is important to share? It's so funny that you say that because I have been thinking about it a lot because we, when, when Kelly moved here, um, he moved in to an apartment that I already was in with a roommate. So it was the three of us Ooh. in an apartment for, oh, a year and a half, maybe, maybe a little. I don't know if it was a year and a half, but a little over a year. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, no. Commit. Yeah. Um, sometimes I feel like we bonded in like our shared, like, you know, we got to get the fuck out of here. You know what I mean? Like, I think sometimes that was it. Um, but we just recently, as in like June fifteenth, moved into our own place, just the two of us, and. It's been hard. Like, it's been hard. It's been, like, you know, very interesting figuring out, like, um, communicating with each other as, like, we move into a place and I start a new job. 
and you know a million other things are going on all the yeah. time we have to furnish this place you know we have to um figure out like travel stuff we're like doing a million things at once and it's like it's in and in the truest sense being partners like really partners and it's tough it's so tough but it's also like this thing where sometimes i'm sitting on the couch and he's sitting on the other end of the couch and we're like watching Avengers again. Um, <laughs> and that's not him, that's me. Like, <laughs> who picked Avengers again? Um, and I look over at him, and like, he's got one hand on my leg, and like, one hand on like a beer, and he's watching the movie, and he's laughing, and he's looking at me too. And I just feel like, holy fuck, I live with my best friend. And I get to see him every day. And he's so thoughtful like I'm having he knows I'm like stressed out so like I wake up the next day and he like cuddles me a little longer and he kisses me and immediately starts saying you're so beautiful you're so smart I love you so much from the minute I wake up and that's not every day (laughs) 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 but like on particularly hard days you know like I get to have those moments with this person who is like who is kind and who is patient. And you know, after a couple of like relationships that went bad and I was just thinking, you know, what do I want from the next relationship? The thing that kept coming to my mind is that I wanna be with someone who knows how to be gentle with themselves. And that is really hard for men, um, to be gentle with themselves. And when they're not good at being gentle with themselves, it is like such a learning curve to learn to be gentle to someone else or with someone else, mm-hmm. no matter who it is. And I did not want to be with another person who like had so much misery or self-hate or, you know, like just so like ridiculously hard on themselves that they didn't know or they couldn't maintain a relationship that w- was shared kindness. I didn't want that again. So now I'm with someone who is like so kind, not just to me, but to everyone in his life that I'm regularly astounded by how kind he is. And it feels like a challenge. And I'm not, I'm not a competitive person, <laughs> but it feels like a challenge to live with him and to see the things that he thinks of and the kind of man that he wants to be. And every day I have to be like, I have to like, I at least have to match that. And it's fun trying. That's awesome. Yeah. It sounds like really beautiful. Yeah, I, know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, one of the things you said, actually, I mean, that really kind of just stuck out to me was like, in terms of men being gentle with themselves, like, it's I know. Hard. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah, it, I mean, it's really difficult. I find it really difficult. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Brittany. <laughs> but no, I was going to say, I mean, uh, Obviously, my uh, Carla, my wife, and I, um, like, we're two. I love two... Carla. Yeah. <laughs> I love her. I know her, and I love her. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Me, too. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Me, three. But, um, but we're two very different people, and I'm the type of person that just, like, enjoys debate and mm-hmm. enjoys, like, to argue. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she is like the opposite. And like the thing that I really kind of realize is that sometimes when you are so steeped into like enjoying that debate, it's less about the outcome. Yeah. 
it's more about that process. And that yeah. was, I kind of think, something that kind of falls in line with that. Well, yeah, you know, one of the like rules that we try to abide by um, during arguments and stuff like that is we are not arguing, neither of us is arguing to win, we're arguing to find a solution to the problem. And that helps <laughs> because when you're not arguing to win, you don't go for the jugular. You don't, like there's no reason to because you're not trying to like, you know, get this person to submit. You're trying to get this person to like partner with you and figure out what's next after this. And that has worked for us. Like that really, really helps. Sometimes it's like we have to get out of the house and just like, like we're, we don't like each other right now, but we've got to get out of the house and go do something because that's what's gonna shake us out of this. One time it was getting on the train and going, like we were like, let's just get on the train and go somewhere. And we went to like Connecticut and we didn't really think this through. And we, <laughs> but it was great because we ended up like getting off the train and walking around and being like, yo, I hate this place, me too. <laughs> and then being like, let's eat something and leave immediately, you know? like. <laughs> It ended up being great because it was like, it was just this moment of being like, we're in a place where we know no one. It's just the two of us. This place blows and it reminds me how much I like you. <laughs> to be perfectly honest. And it was, I mean, it went like, but it went great. Like it was a lot of, you know, like we talk about that trip a lot because even now it's like, why the fuck did we go to Connecticut? Like, I don't know why we did that, but we did. That's great. So I think yeah. it's time for another guest. Yes. Uh, so I would like to introduce this person. Surprise. Uh, he is a writer at The Atlantic. He is also a contributing editor for Seven Scribes and a founding member of Negroes with a Podcast. He's also, most importantly, the founder of Do-Rag History Week. <laughs> yes. Give it up. Please welcome Van Newkirk the Woo! second. Oh, welcome, Van. Oh, they came from me. DC like at like yeah. six o'clock this morning. That's commitment. And like worked. <laughs> And like is here right now, so thank you. Six fifty-five, not that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I came from Williamsburg, so yeah. kind of the same. Same distance. <laughs> All right, well, Ben, you used to actually work as a policy analyst for Kaiser Family Foundation, which is not the same as being a journalist. Uh, but now, <laughs> but now you're a writer for the Atlantic, and you're covering everything from the economy of Puerto Rico to why American English needs to retain y'all. Uh, to like the greatness of Muhammad Ali, like you, like you know, the rooter to the tutor, you covering everything. Mm -hmm. um, you also started your own site with six of your friends called Seven Scribes, which is fantastic. Mm -hmm. If you guys haven't read it, you should. You guys have a new piece out about cousin about Pam, cousin Pam, cousin Pam <laughs> from, from the Cosby, the Cosby show. show. Oh, it's so good. Yes. Um, yeah. But how did you get from like Kaiser Permanente mm -hmm. to like the Atlantic? Well, when I was at Kaiser, I was also freelancing mm -hmm. and I was blogging uh, and. I think Ferguson was a moment in which I decided that I needed to make that my actual life and career. Uh, people were dying and I was uh, crunching numbers every day. And it didn't feel right. Um, and I was writing 
from five to nine and working from nine to five. And when I was writing, I was writing about how I felt and how I felt like I was watching America change. And it felt irresponsible. It just felt depressing to actually go to work and crunch numbers on uninsured people every day. Uh, and it was a job that I was trained for, but I don't think it was a job I was meant to do. Mm. And I feel like with journalism, um, after I freelance for a little, a little bit of time, uh, people were looking out. And I went to Daily Coast for a couple months. Mm -hmm. And from there, uh, I actually got into the Atlantic by critiquing the Atlantic a lot. So <laughs> that, was, that was fun. Say more about that. Yeah. So uh, the Atlantic, uh, I'm pretty sure a lot of people here have seen the coddling of the American mind. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, there's a couple of pieces, not a couple, quite a few pieces, that deal with uh, this idea of PC culture on college campuses and the idea that like safe spaces are, are bad or, and, and that mostly minority uh, students and, and, and queer students are damaging the foundations of free speech on college campuses. And I take issue with that almost at a personal level, but definitely at a journalistic level because I don't think mm -hmm. it's based, I don't think it's based on actual assessment, actually talking to students, actually going out and seeing how students feel about free speech. And so that's how I wrote, um, and that's what I wrote. And when I had my first lunch with Matt Thompson, he's another black guy at The Atlantic, one of a few. <laughs> <laughs> and that was one of the first things he brought up was, I, I saw you've been writing a lot of stuff about us. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good way to get people's uh, attention, right? Is, is, mm -hmm. is talk shit about them. <laughs> um, so you, I mean, you open up to us just now about, and I can, I can definitely actually understand like the feeling of like, like I didn't have a TV when Ferguson was like happening. And so I would like stay up and like refresh Twitter all night, not get any sleep, go to work the next day, probably after getting up at like five and editing before going to work, feel crazy and then go to my, my day job and nobody was talking about it. It was mm -hmm. as if like nothing was happening whatsoever. Yeah. And then I was just like, this doesn't feel good. Like this doesn't feel right anymore. Um, but <laughs> this is actually a completely unrelated follow-up. Please explain Do-Rag History Week. Oh yeah, it's, it's actually not unrelated. <laughs> it's very much related. Um, so November, uh, two years ago, we were going through this. You know, we, we were watching, we, we were, people were marching we were very uh, upset and hurt. Um, and I woke up that day, and I think you'll see the tweet directly before the, the, the Durek History Week tweet. It was, we need something to, like, we need some levity, and we need something to celebrate. And so how it started was I tweeted, one tweet, it was, I'm declaring this week Durek History Week. And that was it. Um, I posted like three follow-ups with like an Egyptian cat with a, a skull cap. <laughs> and there's a picture of Sammy Davis Jr., black and white, counting money in a dressing room in a do-rag. <laughs> yeah, and people, I think people really like, they felt the same thing that I felt, that they needed some levity. They needed something to hold on to and celebrate what we are and where we've been. And... It grew out of that. You know, it seems like it's a very superficial thing, but at the time of the first one, people were in tears. Uh, 
at the beginning and at the end um, of, of, of what happened and how Durag history allowed them to connect to like a, a strength about them and their history. So I thought it was really interesting. And, and it almost had nothing to do with me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, I said, I had that tweet, and I think people would have latched on to almost anything at that point that was uh, similar. That's obviously like very relevant now even. You know, I feel like we're all looking for things to, to kind of take us out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just even for a brief moment. Yeah, Pokemon Go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was playing in the, in, the, in the green room before I came out here. <laughs> I deleted it because I have an obsessive personality and unlimited vacation. <laughs> so I was like, nah, it's a recipe for disaster. I have an obsessive personality and I just go with it. <laughs> <laughs> so normally before, uh, before guests come on the show we ask them like is there anything that you want to talk about that you never ever get to and you said without hesitation with like not even half a breath butterflies yes butterflies what is that about <laughs> wait the Michael Jackson song no oh, I love that song by the way and I love the original Floetry version much better yeah. the reference track um, as much as I love Michael <laughs> but I think butterflies, and this is going to be real poetic and kind of whack, maybe. Um, but I think butterflies are like the thing that I would show if an alien came to Earth and asked me to show them one thing or they blow us up. I would say butterflies. I think butterflies are beautiful manifest- manifestations of the strangeness and the weirdness and the uniqueness of life on Earth. And they remind me so much of the specialness I see in like kids and 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 and, and people and you know I, I actually have butterfly butterfly feeders and and uh, plants that I know will attract butterflies in my yard because they're so amazing you know we got monarch butterflies we got swallowtails you know you want to get me into <laughs> talking about <laughs> classifications but if you think about it, if you actually think about the idea of a butterfly and it's almost to me like impossible beauty of a thing. And whenever I'm down and I go out to my garden and I see butterflies landing on my hydrangeas or my, uh, sorry. Beautiful. <laughs> this is great. Or, or my uh, daisies. Uh, I am just reminded that life is beautiful and I don't ever want to lose that. Well, damn. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. Yeah. So, uh, so just just Monday, uh, you actually you put out a, like a really really great piece on on the importance of Serena Williams, uh, and yeah, yeah, yes, and it was really beautiful in the sense of how it explored kind of Serena's life, like her success, but also her life as a bit of a metaphor for kind of the struggles that like black people have traditionally gone through, in addition to black women specifically, uh, have always how they have always faced them. Um, to start, I would actually just love it if you could just say more about that because everybody should know. <laughs> okay, so um, Serena Williams, the greatest, maybe athlete of all time. We'll think about that. Um, definitely the greatest tennis player of all time. The greatest athlete alive right now, I believe. She won her 22nd Grand Slam title mm. on Saturday. Tied for the, the most in the open air um, with Steffi Graf. I think... Pretty much any commentator will tell you she's better than Steffi Graf at this point. And it happened just hours after we watched protesters 
hundreds get arrested in Minnesota and Baton Rouge. And, you know, I, I was struck with her answer after the match. They asked her a question about Dallas uh, right after the match. And without wavering, she said, uh, you know, this is about black lives. This is about violence against people who look like my nephews. And she didn't do this thing where people, you know, they, they make two things equivalent. They make, you know, a guy, one person's agenda against police equivalent to police killing black folks. She stood there in a very precarious situation, exhausted after a match, and said the right thing. And then she walked off with a fist raised. And I, I've loved Serena Williams and Venus Williams for now most of my life. And, you know, I was just overcome. Then. Mm. Yeah. And that's what I wrote about. And she's the greatest. And she means so much to us to celebrate. She, she to me, is like Ali in that mm -hmm. she provides that public voice, uh, that public excellence that we often need when we're feeling down, when we feel like, you know, they, maybe they won't stop killing us. Maybe they won't stop marginalizing us and redlining us and putting us on the edge of cities and, and floodplains and uh, lead poisoning us. And I think people like having those avatars of like greatness, of black excellence, who can remind us that, that we can and, and there is a future. Yeah, I mean, I totally, I, I totally agree. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I mean, one of the things I, I also think about, like, that to me feels pretty unique with Serena is, like, within, within the black community specifically, she, she seems very, like, wholly loved. Like, there, there's, it's like a love-love relationship with her. I mean, people, like, like, near uniformly, if not uniformly, recognize, like, how special and, and unique she is. Um, and I was also, I mean, I, usually what we do is, like, we think about that in relation to somebody else. And, and I was thinking about LeBron, who's somebody who's also extremely dominant, <laughs> like, dominant. ridiculously talented person, you know? Um, but, he, like, I feel like with him specifically, it's harder for people like to get behind black people specifically, it seems to be more of a love, like hate relationship. And, and I mean, I personally don't get it. I'm just curious if you had any thoughts. I don't get the LeBron hate. Um, and I hated LeBron for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought the whole switching, I thought the decision was weak. Um, I thought it was, you know, something I definitely wouldn't do, get on TV and say, I'm going to leave you. Like, but when I, <laughs> after a while, I, I felt people were piling on and they were just ignoring the amazing things that he did. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the, 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 the fact that he actually does do work for the community. His scholarship program is amazing. And, and, but I think anyone who becomes success, successful enough is going to have haters. Like, uh, and that's just the way it is. And I think Serena's She's not singularly accepted among everyone, of course. I mean, you got yeah. Dog Abby and Egg Twitter who get out there every day. And, <laughs> and they're, they're going in. But I think that acceptance among black folks, at least, is, is, is acknowledgement that she represents more than any other athlete that sort of hope, um, more than LeBron, more than Jordan did. Mm -hmm. And... The fact that I think that she exists in a sport that is mostly white, 
that is white pretty much with the exception of her, her sister, and a couple of other up-and-comers who yeah. also enjoy watching, uh, is different than LeBron James playing in a sport where it's mostly black um, or, or a football player playing in a sport where it's mostly black. You know, she's overcoming – LeBron definitely has overcome racism, but it's much more daily and present in her life. And she's also a woman. She's a black woman dealing with all the shit that black women get. So it's almost threefold, like the difference in mm -hmm. what we respect of her going through. Um, and, and that's why I think, you know, even if you don't like her, if you don't like tennis, you gotta respect Serena, right? You, you, you yeah. can't not respect Serena. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, that was a beautiful intro. Uh, <laughs> now that I guess everybody in the room has now met the both of you, uh, it's time to move on to our next segment. So um, we are going to talk, we each brought like our own individual thing. Eric, you want to explain a little bit of it? Yeah, I mean, it's come up a lot. It's, it's honestly, I'm sure amongst everybody in the audience, it's, it's kind of tough to have a conversation where the past, like the events over the past like week, week or two uh, haven't come up. Uh, so we wanted to talk about something that feels good. Uh, and for, for us, that's really the kind of the transformative power of, of black art. Um, so we asked ourselves, as well as, well as you two, <laughs> uh, what's a piece of black art that's changed your life? Um, and we're gonna, we're gonna share those with you. All right, so I'm first. Yeah. <laughs> no pressure. Uh, so, um, so I'm gonna play a clip from a movie, and it comes from the 1978 classic movie musical, The Wiz. Oh, yeah. Who doesn't love a classic chocolate chip cookie? Famous Amos has been making them since the 70s, 1975 to be exact. With semi-sweet chocolate chips and a satisfying crunch, it's everything classic in one bite-sized cookie. And fans couldn't get enough. That's right. You'll find our original recipe, the one you know and love, in every bag of Famous Amos original chocolate chip cookies. Find Famous Amos anywhere you buy your favorite snacks. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Hey, listen. Remember how you told me to toss those takeout containers before we left for vacation? And you were like, I'm serious. If that leaks over the counter, it'll be a slimy abomination by the time I get back. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Don't worry about it. I won't forget. <laughs> well... Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Rinse after use if in contact with food surface. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Life doesn't have a pause button. That's why Capella University's FlexPath Learning Format lets you set your own deadlines and adjust them if something comes up. Imagine how a flexible education can make a difference for you at capella.edu. Starring Diana Ross, Michael Jackson, Richard Pryor, Lena Horne, Nipsey Russell. We could go on and on and on and on and on. 
So the scene you're about to see, Dorothy and her friends have just reached the Emerald City, and um, they are introduced to a whole new world. For the Wiz, actually. The Wiz. Um, and actually, if you were like paying attention, or if you know that much about like Eve Saint Laurent models from the '70s, mm -hmm. Iman was like the very yeah. last black person in that shot. Some of y'all do, apparently. Um, <laughs> so I picked that because so where I grew up is a town called Farmington Hills, Michigan. Yes. Woo. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, that person is my blood relation, <laughs> who also quickly forgot about where we come from. Um, <laughs> it's not that thrilling. So um, by the name, you can kind of guess, it's not chock full of black people. Um, and so like growing up, I, I saw very few all black anything outside of my household, my auntie's households, <laughs> and church. And so like to be like, to see this thing from the past, which like when you're six, seven, eight, you have like a very you don't have a strong concept of like the 70s. Um, but to see like Michael Jackson younger and to see Diana Ross younger and all these other like just amazingly talented black people, um, some of whom aren't here anymore, um, just like uh, being in this thing together, like Iman is not even from, she's not even from America, but like she, you know what I'm saying? This, and this is like such a like a, like the Wiz is such a, to me, a black American triumph, but also like by including other people who are in like other like, well, I guess like if Iman's from Africa, she's not really part of the diaspora. She she's like, you know, yeah, yeah. like yeah. So like, many <laughs> people from the diaspora and people who really didn't travel as far. Um, <laughs> and it was just like it was so beautiful. Like I had no concept of anything like that. So just to be immersed in this world that wasn't just all black but was also like seemingly of another time and also of like this other place where there was all this magical stuff happening and I always loved The Wizard of Oz so to see an all black adaptation of that with better music mm. talk about it better <laughs> dancing that's like I mean it's like that made me feel like as a child like I won Alvin Ailey yeah yeah, yeah. and yeah. that scene do you know what I mean like it's yeah. I mean honestly it's, it's really like it's amazing like the thing that like for me, and I went back and watched The Wiz after The Wiz Live uh, play recently, which was yeah. also really, really good. I watched Amber that. Riley. I cried. Yeah. Amber If Amber you haven't Riley. seen The Wiz Live, you need to go on Hulu or whatever bootleg website you use. <laughs> and you need to watch, what is it? He's The Wiz. When Amber Riley sings He's The Wiz at the beginning, like the first time I saw that, I was crying. And it turned out, I talked to, not to put my mama on blast, my mom is in the room. But when I talked to her about that, whoop, whoop, Ursula. Um, <laughs> but when I talked to her about it, she said that she cried when she saw it. Almost every other black woman that I know that watched The Wiz burst into tears. Yeah. At, at seeing it live, and then also seeing Amber Riley sing that song. I mean, first of all, Amber Riley hits notes I didn't know existed, and <laughs> like regularly, and I just love that. But it's also so infrequent to see. I'm a person who grew up loving anything that had to do with magic and whimsy. Like I loved it, loved it, loved it. But that also meant that I ended up seeing like mostly 
like except for really like the whiz mm-hmm. <laughs> seeing yeah. white people being able to engage in like magic and whimsy and things like that so the whiz was this like view into like like it's colorful and they're singing and they're dancing you know what i mean but it's also like literally about magic and that was like life altering for me like oh we get to do magic too mm-hmm. yeah yeah. I'm from Indiana, so for many years I didn't think Harlem was a real place. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like all of a sudden in movies, it was like the five 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 number in movies. Like when people would be like, Oh, we're in Harlem and I would be like, Oh yes, Harlem. Like like, <laughs> like it was a concept. It wasn't an actual <laughs> location. <laughs> I mean, but in the movie, Harlem is also like, I mean, as, like, as they go uh, to the different world, like that world just has so much texture and detail. Yes. Like mm-hmm. if you think about like, I mean, black, like one, you don't see many black, like I guess you call it maybe sci-fi or fantasy, like mm-hmm. you say kind of those like magical worlds. But it was not only that, but it was also just built out with so much depth mm-hmm. and detail. Mm-hmm. Like if you look at that, like if you, like that clip alone, like just all the details from the fur to like the metallics and yeah. like how they bring all those things together, it was so much focus to create to make you really feel like this was opulence, like this mm-hmm. was you know luxury, this was at its peak, and th- like that's something I feel like we still, frankly, don't see a lot of times because um, we don't get the budgets. But <laughs> <laughs> the budget for the Wiz was incredible. Yeah. 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 It's clear. Did they blow it? I feel like they blew it out a couple of times. I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> but yeah, no, it was like um, I feel like the budget for Boomerang was probably high too. It yeah, was. It was. No, the budget it for Boomerang was. was super high. They did. They like blew it out. But also like Eddie, it's like it's like not crazy, but it's also just. I mean, time has passed, but it's crazy to think about like Eddie Murphy like co- like commanding that kind of money, or like Diana Ross and Michael Jackson together with Richard Pryor like commanding that type of money. Like I like. Even I was glad that it was a thing that happened again now, and that like mm-hmm. I was happy that Neo was in it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. Like I was really ha- like Neo. Neo's a talent. I've been yeah. singing "Sexy Love" to myself for like <laughs> walking around my office just. His accent was terrible, though. What's that? His accent His was accent terrible. His accent little, was terrible. Yeah. He's like the only black person I know with Jack Nicholson eyebrows. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about it. Where's he from? What's that? Where's he from, Neo? The Shining. Uh, <laughs> Somebody said Vegas. I was gonna be like, I swear he's never been to the South. Yeah, yeah I really don't. He I don't tries know. it. He tries <laughs> it. <laughs> he did. He really did. But I like it because it just it's centered like the same way that I guess when you think of, like Kansas is representative of the heartland of like America, um, like mainstream America, which is white. Um, like Harlem is like the it's the center of Black America. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's like. It also, like, in the movie, it's the center of the universe. It's, like, the place that you're trying to get back to. It's the place where you want to be. And it's, like, it's the place where your family is. It's the place where love is. And I think it's so beautiful. Like, if you think about also what Harlem was probably like in 1978, it was so beautiful to me that, like, they centered that as, like, this, like, wonderland full of, like, love and, like, happiness and like that warm feeling of, I mean, I'm saying home, which is like mm-hmm. a song from Liz, which is corny, but like, yeah, but like that warm feeling of home, like when so many people probably like on the news were not, you know what I'm saying? Like this is happening at the same time that Frank Lucas is around. Do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it's not like, I appreciate the fact that like black people were offered this piece of fantasy, but also that like the fantasy was kind of still framed within like everyday life. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It didn't have to happen like, in, you know, like so far into the future 
you know what I mean? That, that it was hard to identify. Yeah, yeah. that it, like that it, you feel like you couldn't. It wasn't necessarily something that you would feel part of. It's something you could only see like in New Zealand where they shoot stuff like that. So that was my pick, Eric. It's pretty next. good. Uh, tough act to follow, but I uh, will be showing you a clip that comes from the 1990 movie Mo Better Blues. Mm, yes. <laughs> Uh, by Spike Lee, I must add that this is my number two favorite movie of all time, only second to Barry Gordy's The Last Dragon. Um, he gave a copy of that, D of his, you gave your copy, I talked to our boss about this the other day, yeah. he gave him a copy of his DVD and was like, you must watch this. I gave him, yeah, I actually gave it to him on Blu-ray and DVD, uh, just in case. <laughs> Because uh, it's so excellent. But that's not why we're here today. We're here today to talk about Mo Better Blues. Uh, stars Denzel Washington as uh, Bleak uh, Gilliam. And in this particular clip, it actually comes from the end of the movie, so spoiler alert, but please go back and watch it. Uh, Denzel Washington is kind of chosen to leave behind his like dreams, frankly, of a career as a jazz musician and commit himself wholly to his partner, um, and, and potentially have a family. Uh, so this kind of comes like just after. So yeah, give it up for No Better Blues. So I mean to frame that clip a little bit more like it, it's a really long montage, actually. <laughs> uh, if you've seen the movie, it, it really it starts from uh, their wedding, uh, shows like the birth of Miles uh, in full detail, uh, and yeah, uh, and takes you all the way oh. through. Yeah, I got it. Uh, <laughs> and takes you all the way through um, to the scene you saw there, which was kind of coming full circle a bit for Denzel Washington's character, uh, and for me, like. When I first saw this, I, I come from a single parent home, and it was really it was always really difficult for me to like contextualize like what like family looks like, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, it was just hard. Like to be honest, we saw things like you know saw, everybody watched Cosby Show and stuff like that, uh, but it was really really difficult for me to get those like little moments, the like walking to school, you know. Um, just sitting there while the baby crawls as if the baby hasn't been crawling, you know, like <laughs> uh, just like chasing, chasing them around in like on the playground, like all those things like really added this, this texture in my mind that I just really, really appreciated uh, and helped me think that maybe this was something that I wanted for myself one day. Uh, and I still find it to be, to, to be not only that, but also just amazingly poetic, just set mm -hmm. to, you know, to this, uh, to this song by Miles Davis, Love Supreme, like, it's just like, kind of like tracking you throughout, throughout life um, in a way that, frankly, you, we don't get to see black life like that, yeah. that often. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, however you feel about Bleak through the first three quarters of the movie, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I, I won't, say that you know he was he was he was a model uh for how one should behave but like that montage to me is like as close as it comes to a perfect uh scene of film how is oh. how is it so i like i knew you 
a while now, like 11 years. So I've yeah. known you since before, you know, you had a wife and you had a child. And this was still always your favorite movie. Second favorite, I'm sorry. Like, how, how is it different to watch that whole montage now that, like, like to put your business out there? Like, we just <laughs> celebrated, you know, Baby Peanut's first birthday. Her party was on Saturday. Yeah. And it was, like, in your apartment, and she, like, couldn't, she didn't blow out the candle. Yeah. She didn't understand. <laughs> next, year, next year, next year, next <laughs> year. She actually didn't even want to eat the cake. Yeah. We kept trying to get her, and she was like, I don't know what this is. But, um, <laughs> like, what is, it, what is it like to look at that montage now for you? I mean, to be honest, the montage is so much longer in my mind now. Like, I, like, I see, obviously, what, like, what Spike put there. But now, like, I mean, I can only go but so far. <laughs> I, can't, I can't go all the way there. But I can feel out these other moments. Uh, and it feels, like, so much more real. Um, and it, it also is very, like, it's very comforting now to watch, to think that that... Um, it is aspirational in a sense, but it also just can be real, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, I thought growing up that like, that was a very big maybe that I would have a family. And then my family looked like that. They look, you know, they look middle class. Like they look like they are happy. They don't look like they're, um, they don't look like they're kind of bothered or hindered by the things that like black families are traditionally held down by. They just look like they are living and enjoying and focusing on their life and their family. Um, and for me, that was aspirational, but now I also feel like it, you know, it's, it's possible for me. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> uh, that's, that's kind of what I see now. And I'm, I mean, I'm hopeful that my life will continue to be as uh, idyllic as it seems in that, in that montage, but you know, we'll see so far. So I think next time she'll be able to blow out the candle. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're working on that. <laughs> Walking first. <laughs> but yeah, um, I'm curious as like the other pieces. I mean, I think about the black family. I think about like the the things that we look out for. Uh, is there anything else that like pokes out to you as like a great example? As for black family? Yeah. Oh man, that's so hard. Because growing up, it used to be, for me, like, Cosby Show. Yeah. But then it became, when I got, actually, when I started to be a little bit, like, more of an adult and moved away from my family in Indiana that, like, my mom has four sisters, and when my grandmother was alive, all of them lived in the same neighborhood. Like, not, like, just my mom and her sisters, but then, like, my grandma, and then also my mom's best friend. And then, all you know, like, so I grew up surrounded by family. Um... And then I moved to go away to college and I created sort of like, I realized like I could create like friend families. Mm. And so when that, like when I realized like this thing that like friend families were possible, to me the best family on in like film or TV became the cast of Living Single. <laughs> 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 because in that month, like in like on that show, I was just like, oh my, like that's family. Like that's, you know, and I love my, like my family is my family and I love my family, but your chosen family is so specific and like the dynamics and the chemistry have to be right. And like the, like, you know, it's different when someone's related to you and you're just like, when it's somebody who's a friend and they fail you and you forgive and you listen and then you open your heart again, mm -hmm. it's, it's just, 
and then they do write. <laughs> it's just like, to me, like that's just like one of the most beautiful things. And I feel like black women specifically are so, so good at, like black girl magic in my mind is the divining of relationships between each other that are based on so much more than our gender and the color of our skin. Like, I mean, like that might be where we start, but it becomes something like beyond, just so strong. You know, I was telling my boyfriend on the way here, um, I was looking at my phone like, okay, which way do I go? And there was um, a black officer at the crosswalk and she saw me and she stopped and she said, hey, where are you trying to go? Let me help you. Like, and I, and I was like, oh, I, you know, actually I can see it, you know, in here or whatever. And she was like, okay, cool, you know, whatever. And then Kelly was like, what'd she say to you? And I was like, it's a, like a whole thing. Like, I don't know how to, <laughs> like she didn't say much, but it was like that look, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and I was like, I, I can't even, I love you, but it's a thing. Like, let's just go. We so, already late. <laughs> So on that note, I think we should actually transition to your clip. Yeah, okay. My clip comes from the 1993 film, What's Love Got to Do With It? <laughs> Starring Angela Bassett and Lauren Fishburne. And now, from St. Louis, Ike and Tina Turner singing their new song, Food in Love. Somebody please, please tell me what's wrong. You're just a fool. You know you're in love. What you say? Okay. <laughs> you need to give us. Yeah. You need to give us some. <laughs> All right. A little bit of context. Yes. <laughs> For that scene, I mean, most people know like the Ike and Tina story, but um, the particular thing around that scene is that right before they went on stage, um, Tina, who had like recently given birth, like way recently, <laughs> um, felt like she was too sick, and like they, she gave birth, they immediately went back on the road. She didn't feel good at all, and she was like, "I just, I don't think I can do this. I'm sorry." And, you know, and then there's the, you know, Ike line, like, yeah, you sorry about the sorriest motherfucker I ever seen. And then he leaves. Like, he's like, he's terrible. He's a terrible man. But that scene when, like, first of all, I saw this in the theater. And I was, like, six. (laughs) My grandmother didn't give a solitary fuck. She was like... She was like, I don't like going to the movies by myself. <laughs> I'm about to pull you out of kindergarten early. <laughs> and you're going to come see it with me. So I went to go see this movie. Um, but that, I, like, it was, it was ingrained in my mind, this, like, Angela Bassett, who the fact that to this day, Angela Bassett doesn't have a Best Actress Academy mm. Award for something mm. is insane. But, look, y- y'all know. 
But she, <laughs> but that scene, like her just standing there, like almost catatonic and him kissing her and the like, and it's like this moment of the kiss and that single tear yeah. <laughs> coming down her face. And then the singing starts. And I just like, I grew up in a, like a family where um, my mom, <laughs> my brother and I watched a lot of TV, a lot of movies. We were only 14 months apart, kind of acted like twins. But my mother was very encouraging of us play acting. And for many years, I thought I wanted to be an actress. I don't. Now that I like, <laughs> now that I know what they go through, I, I have no desire to do it. But um, my brother and I used to like act out scenes for movies all the time. And my mom would just like laugh and like, she would tell us, no, nah, you forgot this line. It goes like this. We'd be like, oh yeah, yeah, wait, we'll, we'll do it over. We'll do it over. And then we'd do it over. And it was like this fun thing. And I didn't really realize, I don't even think at the time, like I definitely realized that Ike was a mean man, but I don't think I understood what it meant to be like in relationship with a man who treats you badly because I was six. Um, <laughs> but then as I got older, you know, like this movie sort of like for me, like it became completely like, like Ike was like an afterthought. It was all about Tina and it was all about her strength and it was all about like mm -hmm. her talent and beauty and drive and you know like it sucked that she had to get to like that breaking point and like I, I can still picture her in that all white suit running across a highway mm. you know and walking into the hotel room and then giving her a room because despite the fact that she's Tina Turner she has nothing she has no money she has nothing on her and she just wants to be free and she just wants to get away and yeah that movie just represented for me like a level of like you only have to take so much from a person and love doesn't look like that mm -hmm. so when someone says i love you or i need you or you need me but they treat you like that those two things don't work together they don't mix and i feel like there are a lot of bad situations I avoided just in life because of representations like that where I was like, no, I see you coming. <laughs> and when I see crazy coming, I'd cross the street. 2014. So, yeah. yeah. So I, I don't want to cut off conversation, but I yeah. know we're, we're slowly running out of time. So I want to make sure we get to, to your clip. Aaron. Yes. All right. So my clip is from the 1997 music video for, it's, it's much different. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> for the rain, Super Duper Fly. Yeah. By Missy Elliott. And as you all remember, it is the first single from her very first album. Huh. The legend. Me, I'm super fly, super duper fly, super duper fly. Me, I'm super fly, super duper fly. Super duper fly. Uh, <laughs> I know you want more. Can't play the whole video, y'all. Yeah. <laughs> so, my sister's three years younger than me, and we used to get my dad's hefty garbage bags. <laughs> you had to get the ones for the leaves because they were just light enough to, to blow up, but not too heavy, right? But they, they, they wouldn't burst. 
and we had these little fans, these little battery-operated fans. <laughs> and we would... <laughs> I found a way to rig them up so I could blow the, the garbage bags up with the fans, and me and my sister would walk around the house until the batteries died. <laughs> like the Super Duper Fly video. When it came out, I was not even nine years old. Um, I was going on nine that December. And I had been reading a little bit about you know, science fiction. I'd seen science fiction in the movies. Um, up until that point, you know, I had some really you know, fun movies and stuff I enjoyed. I'm not even sure exactly how I was able, allowed to see the, the, the video. I think my grandmother, again, she... she, she <laughs> what is up with grandma? <laughs> yes, my parents didn't let me watch BET, but my, my grandma, she did. <laughs> and I, as, a, as a southern black kid I spent maybe half my life at my grandmother's um, mm -hmm. and so I watched BET, I watched this and it was revolutionary for me and that's one of the only things I can actually remember from my childhood going back that far was the Super Duplicat video mm -hmm. was the, the garbage bags was, was watching this vision of the future that I had never thought about before a future not only with black people, but where black people were like the only vision mm. in that future. It was it was incredible to me. You know, I'd been seeing you know shit like Puff the Magic Dragon, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, fantasy shit that's mm. not like where you don't see any black people at all. So yeah. similar to your point about the Wiz, this was me watching for the first time. So I hadn't seen the Wiz yet then. Mm -hmm. uh, for the first time, it was me watching the construction of an Afrofuturistic uh, mm -hmm. world through a three minute, 45 second video. Um, a great video. A great video. And also mm -hmm. being introduced to Missy and Timberland. But uh, <laughs> also life changing. Also life changing. Life changing. Yeah, it, also it, Southern. Southern, yeah. The Southern as a Southerner. Total. Watching mm -hmm. this stuff that was like very Southern yeah. and watching this future and also uh, watching a black woman who was leading her own, mm. like, like who wasn't, the, the, the R&B singer attached to the song, who was the song. Mm -hmm. And that was also something that was amazing to me to watch as a, as a kid. And every time anybody asked me, what's my favorite music video? What's my favorite, you know, <laughs> you asked me this and I thought it almost immediately. It was yeah. Yeah. Super Duper Fly. Yeah. It, it was garbage bags. <laughs> <laughs> how long did that last? Like, how long does like a battery-operated fan in a garbage bag last? Those things can go about two hours. <laughs> <laughs> That's like six years if yeah. you're eight. Yeah. So, so but we, I, I was in very, very rural North Carolina with my grandmother. Um, so we had to walk like maybe a mile to get batteries. Um, <laughs> so we would we would buy, you know, a pack of four and holidays fun. <laughs> a day of fun and, and get up at six and walk a mile and back to get more batteries. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Well, well um, yeah. we were going to have, we were going to answer some questions, but we actually are like. Run out of time. Out of time. Sorry. Um, <laughs> I know. We're sad too. But that means That's you have to come back family. to the next one. Oh, do we have time for questions? Well. All right. <laughs> Oh, we could ask, we could answer one question, I guess. Sure. Which one do you want to answer? Um. <laughs> you can answer that question. Okay. You should read it. Sure. It'd be All right, so quick question. <laughs> um, Who's it from? This is from Nika T. Knight. 
on Twitter at Nika T Knight. Uh, she asks, Brittany, have you started writing more since your last episode with Ashley? Okay, so for those of you who missed the episode with Ashley, I said that I got into podcasting because writing was too hard. <laughs> Just much easier to talk about nothing with you. Um, and it worked out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, actually, I did. I wrote one thing. I don't have time to write anything else, but I wrote one thing. And it was about infidelity. And nice. it was about lemonade. And it was about. Okay. It's really good. And it's I feel like really I could just good. say lemonade. I feel yeah. like I could just Everybody say lemonade. Knows. Beyonce. I'm just going to keep saying keywords <laughs> just to like get applause. Uh, but yeah, no, I did write, I, I did write one thing. Um, and it was on Refinery29. It was mm-hmm. actually cool because they actually reached out to me. And she was like, oh, based upon your tweets. And I tweet about nothing except for like crying the last time I got fitted for a bra. <laughs> like I tweet about family conference calls. Like tweet about. Chipotle, like I don't really tweet about anything. So she was like, you know, based upon your tweets, I, I really, I really think that you should write a story about Beyonce and infidelity the day after Lemonade came out. And I was like, yeah, okay. Actually, no, you were on vacation. I normally would have asked you because I would have been like, no, actually, I'm very busy. I, I actually, I kind of am. But then I was like, if I, if Eric comes back and I tell him that this happened, I and pissed. I didn't do it, you would have been pissed off. So, uh, so yeah, I did it, and it wasn't, it wasn't, I didn't die. And it's actually a really fantastic essay. Yeah. It's really, really Wait. good. I read it. I knew you read it. Hey, I knew look, you read it. I am it. plugged in for all lemonade stuff. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, of course I read it. Um, well, shoot. That's that's about that's all we got. I think that's all the time we um, have. We want to thank a couple people, though. Yes, yes. Uh, we'd like to thank The Green Space. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. seriously. Because we would not have been able to do this without them. So that's Ellen Rofez. Jennifer Sendro, uh, the wonderful staff, Ricardo, Fernando, thank you so much. Yes. Um, We'd also like to thank our guests. Yes. Thank you so much. Let's give a round of applause. Yes, thank you, Ashley. And also our DJ, DJ yes. Grand Yes. And we'd like to, to lastly just thank all of our listeners and everyone who got tickets. We know, you know, for me, $15 is a lot. So yeah, I mean, for most maybe. Yeah. Uh, But we really, really appreciate you all coming out tonight. Uh, It means more to us than we could like ever really, yeah, really explain. This is like you don't understand. Like literally, we used to sit in Eric's house while like people were shouting the streets, ambulances, ambulances going by. We would drink. We would drink the first couple episodes. Like they don't make any sense, and like (laughs) we would leave like Eric's bathroom door open behind me, so it just sounded like we were shouting into a trash can, but. Y'all stuck with us. And we appreciate it. Uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Thanks for having me. So just, just to reiterate, as we always do, we yes. very much appreciate it if you went to iTunes. Yes. This is an episode, y'all. Yes. And left us a review. Yes. Five stars, maybe. Five stars only. Uh, and, yeah. <laughs> And continue to tell your friends. Like, please, please spread the word. You know, yeah. if you like what you have seen or heard, yeah, uh, tell somebody else about it. Right. And if you enjoyed this live show, you should just continue to beg as many 200 to 500 seat venues as possible <laughs> to ask us for another. Um, and yeah, before we go, we should also like uh, Ashley. Would you like to tell people where they can find you? Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, on Twitter, I'm I Smash Fizzle. On, it's, you want to spell that? 
It's it's phonetic. It's just <laughs> it's just I smash fizzle. Like just how it sounds. Um, it's a combination of two nicknames that I had in college. Don't worry about it. Um, and yeah, I think that's it. Oh, and um, Tumblr smash fizzle, Instagram smash fizzle. You can follow me a bunch of places. I mean, I don't really be doing shit like that. Just like <laughs> talking, black ass lie, but just okay. talking. But yeah. Yeah, uh, you can find me on Twitter at five fifths. Don't forget that F and fifths, or you get somewhere else that's not great. Um, <laughs> you cannot find me on Facebook. Don't. <laughs> don't find you. Yeah, don't find me on Facebook. <laughs> um, and you can also find me on at the Atlantic, not right there. Yeah, yeah, a little yeah. bit. Yeah. He'll be on there. Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. All right. Well, um, thank you guys again. This was great. This was like, I mean, I'm saying this was great. I was sitting here. That's so. Right. Bi I'm biased. That's so <laughs> leading. I, I liked know. it too. But I'll, yeah. But uh, thanks. All this. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much. And um, I guess we will. Um, We'll, we'll talk to you guys soon. We'll it's weird. Normally we're just in a room, like a white box by ourselves. It's we like, hit a button. And we're just kind of like, all right, bye. But like, y'all are here. You're still looking at us. <laughs> but so different. we'll see you later. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. love a classic chocolate chip cookie. Famous Amos has been making them since the 70s, 1975 to be exact. With semi-sweet chocolate chips and a satisfying crunch, it's everything classic in one bite-sized cookie. And fans couldn't get enough. That's right. You'll find our original recipe, the one you know and love, in every bag of Famous Amos original chocolate chip cookies. Find Famous Amos anywhere you buy your favorite snacks.